welcome back to the Ramble Room. If you're a fan of this show, you probably recognize that we haven't put out many shows in the last couple of weeks. That doesn't mean we're not busy. That doesn't mean we're not working. Those of you who do follow this show understand that I am in a campaign for Wyoming's House District 29. When you're on the campaign trail, you do a lot of door-to-door, and I've been doing that. Go out and knock on doors and talk to people for a minute or two. Usually, you feel like you're interrupting their dinner or some other event that's going on, so you want to be cautious with their time, but you also want them to know who you are and what you stand for. Similarly, we participate in a number of forums where we get to stand up for usually a couple of minutes to introduce yourself, and then they ask you some questions, and you got 30 seconds to try to answer a question. And it's difficult to really cover things thoroughly in that kind of a format, but we do those things because they are important. Yesterday, I sat for two interviews, one with the local newspaper and one with a national group looking out for conservatives. And those were interesting discussions, but they won't actually become public. So how do I remedy that? I'm kind of a solutions-oriented person. I like to look at a problem, find out what I think the most practical solution is, and then address it head on. And that's what I'm going to do here today. I'm going to address a few issues, and I'd like to spend just a little bit of time on those issues so that you understand completely where I come from, but also so that you can begin to understand and sort out from a lot of the political gobbledygook, doublespeak, meaningless BS that is out there trying to grab your attention. One of the issues that I would like to address is this issue of election integrity. I don't think there are very many conservative-minded folks who don't have a lot of good questions about what went on in the last election. That's not standing up here and insisting that it was stolen and that things were taken from us. That's just saying we got a lot of questions that were never answered. We've got a lot of things that need to be fixed. Our primaries, for example, because the laws are not, in my opinion, properly structured so that the Republican Party, for example, which is a private enterprise, is able to pick without interference from outsiders its own best candidate. We need some sort of a runoff election so that when these primaries are inundated with a number of candidates, we have an opportunity to actually have one person gain a majority of the votes, and then move on. One of the problems that has happened without this is we get people like our own Governor Gordon, who probably never got more than about 30% of the vote, and he ends up winning because he has a plurality. Therefore, we end up with a lot of call themselves Republicans, but don't really mean it. I think they're making a mistake there. I think they would be better off if they went out and told people exactly who they were and stood up for what they believe in instead of trying to convince everybody that they're truly a conservative and thereby get elected by default just because they have an R after their name. We also have this issue of crossover voting where a number of people are allowed to come in at the last minute, change their party affiliation, and taint our vote. What does it mean in my mind to be a real conservative? I'm going to touch on a few of these issues. As part of a way to explain what I mean, I picked up a flyer the other day from my opponent. And it's a nice-looking flyer. It says a lot of catchy things on it. But when you really start to look at it and parse it, you realize that it doesn't say anything. 
He has three bullet points. One of them says that he understands the Second Amendment is a constitutional right of every American. Whether for self-defense, hunting for sport, he'll shut down the gun grabbers and always stand up for our constitutional rights. Folks, works are cheap. I've been on the front lines of this fight for years. I'm endorsed by Gun Owners of America, and I'm the only candidate for House District 29 that is. To my opponent, I would say, well, <laughs> I'm glad you're on board with the fight. Where have you been? Over the last few years, our gun rights have been under siege from every angle, including right here in Wyoming. Now, in my mind, somebody that is a true backer of the Second Amendment would already be well-known in the fight as I am. Why am I so adamant about that? It's a God-given right to defend oneself. If someone walks up to me and with an open fist tries to hit me in the face, if I deflect that blow with my hand, that is considered just, and nobody would question my right to be able to offer a defense that is equal or opposite to the threat that has been posed to me. My question is, where does that right end? If somebody comes to me with a knife, do I have a right to use a knife in my own defense? Or maybe do I have a right to use something a little bit more effective in my own defense? I believe that self-defense means that you can match whatever threat with whatever force that you need to preserve and protect your own. I'm not going to waste a lot of time getting into the semantics of so-called assault rifles and other such like, but I think we've all seen pictures of drug cartels, the kind of weaponry that they carry. Imagine, if we will, that we had a pretty severe weather incident here in Wyoming, say maybe like a flood around Yellowstone. And first responders are all tied up or are not even able to get there. There are a lot of nefarious characters out there who have a lot of firepower who would like to take advantage of a chaotic situation like that and go out and take whatever they want. When Katrina happened, one of the first things the authorities in New Orleans did was go around and try to collect private weapons. That's exactly the wrong answer. It's during a situation like that when an individual is more likely to need to defend himself, when the police, when other authorities cannot be there to lend a hand. The next bullet point he has talks about delivering business innovation. My opponent has been an asset manager covering, I think, literally billions of dollars of other people's money for many years. No doubt he understands banking and he understands that side of it. One of the questions that I ask is, isn't this the same kind of person that we've had going down to Washington and going to Cheyenne and telling us that only they can understand the intricacies of how money works and therefore they're most qualified to run these things? And where's that gotten us over the last 40 to 50 years? We're pretty screwed. He says he has the experience to help bring thriving businesses to our community and create good-paying jobs for future generations of Wyoming. Folks, that's political gobbledygook. The last thing we need is for the government to be out there picking winners and losers and deciding what businesses should be given bones, what businesses should be given breaks, and how to innovatively work within the system. What we need is a level playing field. American people are ingenious. 
they will find a need and find a way to fill it. Government doesn't grow the economy. Government crushes the economy. It's not government's job to bring thriving businesses to our community. It's government's job to get out of the way and provide a level playing field where people with good ideas can come in and make a decent living and thereby provide jobs and other forms of economic development. Government should never be in the business of economic development. All that is is an open invitation to cronyism. It is too much of a temptation for politicians to turn around and say, hey, if I could help this guy get established over here, he can scratch my back, I can scratch his back. And that's the kind of poison that has destroyed capitalism as it should be in America today. Here's a doozy fighting inflation. My opponent, he says, has conducted extensive investment and business research featured in well-known financial publications such as the Wall Street Journal. That's the type of people who have been running things in America for the last 60 to 100 years or more. And where has it gotten us? If you want to fight inflation, the first thing you have to do is be honest about what causes it. And what causes it is government going out there and printing billions of dollars that it does not have. And then turning around and offering those federal dollars to states and individuals as a bonus to try to shape this society into whatever it is they want it to be. The answer is not some clever investment strategy that provides a hedge against inflation. The answer is to quit printing the money. The answer is to quit taking the money. How many politicians out there would actually tell you what we need to do is when the federal government comes down and says, hey, if you don't agree with our woke policies, we're going to take away your lunch money. Two things need to happen. One of them is you keep your money. We don't need your money. We'll find a way around it. And the other thing that needs to be pointed out is they never should have had that money in the first place. What we need are not politicians who reach across the aisle to try to come to some sort of a settlement. We need politicians, conservatives, who will reach across state lines to other conservatives and build coalitions of states that will stand up and put the federal government on notice as is appropriate under the Tenth Amendment. My friend Tom Kelly says it exactly right. We need to get off the federal teat. We need to quit taking that money and spending it because that's what's causing this inflation and that is what is crushing us. It is what is robbing our liberty from us. And until we get some politicians up there with the backbone to be able to stand up and say that's enough, we're not playing this stupid game anymore, it's going to continue to happen and it's going to get worse. Nobody wants to say that. One of the things that you will notice if you watch this last session in, in Cheyenne, the federal government was handing out money for all sorts of COVID relief, and we could not stop ourselves from going out and accepting as many of those dollars as we possibly could and then turning around and spending not only that money but more money beyond that. That's the kind of thinking that we have to get away from. It's tough. It's hard. It's not politically expedient to stand out and say, we've got to quit taking these dollars. But if we don't, it's going to kill us.
My opponent says he's ready to utilize his unmatched problem-solving abilities and business experience on behalf of our community. That sounds a bit arrogant to me. I know a lot of people who work with their hands, who fix things, who look at a situation where something is going wrong and there's a problem and they understand how it works and they understand how to roll up their sleeves and get in there and get the job done. The elitists don't have the right to try to claim that they're the only ones who have unmatched problem-solving skills, especially when they're unwilling to call a spade a spade, when they're unwilling to look at a problem and call it for what it is. Until we can look at a number of the issues that we have in our society and put a finger on precisely what the problem is and then address that, we're accomplishing nothing. My opponent claims to be an innovator, an entrepreneur, a volunteer, and a philanthropist. Might I just suggest that if you have to point those things out, you might not be the philanthropist that you actually should be. Another issue I want to touch on briefly is that issue of Medicaid expansion. Every year that comes up again. I don't know where my opponent stands on this matter, but I have a pretty good guess because I know where the people who are supporting him come down on this matter. And they have run for and promoted Medicaid expansion. Medicaid expansion is a financial boondoggle which will break this state. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. However, even if you could prove to me, which you can't, that this is a financially wise move to make, I'm still opposed. I'm opposed because I understand that liberty is dependent upon one being responsible for oneself. And any time I cede responsibility for any facet of my life, I give up some of my liberty. That's a problem. I'm a believer in free enterprise. I'm a believer in capitalism. And if there is a need, it will be fixed, including health care needs. The problem with health care today is that the government has gotten so involved in it and so destroyed the economic balance that it is unrecognizable and to a large part unaffordable. It's going to take some hard changes. But the only way to fix this is not more government intervention. It's not more government dollars going to try to do what has already screwed up the system. It's reversing that trend. It's getting government more and more out of our health care decisions. One good example, uh, the company that I work for offers insurance, self-insurance through traditional means. And the policy is not bad. But the policy costs somewhere in the neighborhood of $1,500 a month. On the other hand, there is a capitalist idea out there, which is the sharing of medical bills through a Christian healthcare network. At a cost of about $250 a month, it offers the same or better coverage than the $1,500 a month through the traditional health insurance. If we get government out of the way and deregulate businesses, they will find a need and fill it. They will make a profit from that. That's exactly what's supposed to happen, and we can fix this. 
One example that I often use is the idea of television sets. My father bought a color TV set, I think it was 1968, and I don't know what he paid for it, but it was an astronomical investment for a family on a small budget. It had about a 19-inch square picture, and it was pretty crappy. That TV lasted probably 30 years. It might still be working somewhere. Last I knew, my sister still had it. But look at what you can get today. You can walk in there, and for a couple of hundred dollars, you can get a really striking, sharp, big-screen television set. Why is that, and why are they so inexpensive? It's because of capitalism and free enterprise. If we apply that same kind of thinking to healthcare, we can fix this mess. In summation, there are a lot of people who will run for these offices and tell you that they're the only ones qualified to make these hard judgments and to solve these problems. They're the same people that created these problems. What it takes is a little bit of common sense. And what it takes is a lot of backbone and being willing to stand up and say this dangerous trend that we are on has to stop. Nobody wants to be the first one to stand up and say, I'm not going to take another stimulus check. And we, we justify that just as the state has done by saying, well, the money's going to get spent anyway. I might as well get my piece of it. Folks, that's wrongheaded. It's destroying us. Wyoming has an opportunity here we've not seen in decades. There are across the state some 30-plus conservatives who are vying for the same kind of a position that I am. If we can elect enough of them, say half of them, we'll change the leadership in this state government. We'll change the attitude, we'll change the direction, and we will begin to make ourselves a shining light on the hill. And I know that sounds trite, but it's true. Other states around us, Texas, South Dakota, they're accomplishing some of these same things. And if we have a few of these states that can work together against the federal government and stand together and show the way, we can still save this country. That's what I'm trying to do. I've been married 40 years. I've raised three kids, got nine grandbabies, and I care passionately about the world that they will grow up in. And I do not want to be the generation that left them what I think is coming. I appreciate your vote on August 16. If you're hearing this and you appreciate what it says, please pass it to someone else, especially those people who live in Sheridan and who are, are a part of District 29. It's imperative that we start now. It's imperative that we win this election and that we say no to people like my opponent who go out there and say what they think are all the right things but are just going to do the same stuff that's put us where we're at. Thank you for listening.